everyone and welcome along to your Monday TII Bulletin with a bit of a difference this time around. My name is Craig Dennett and I'm your host this evening live from the podcast studios Glasgow as we try out a brand new setup for the TII podcast. Tonight as we try this this new setup I'm joined from their houses by Ross Chalmers. How are you doing Ross? Yeah I'm very good Craig thanks. Yeah it's uh, it looks the part so yeah, I'm very, very thankful to be here. Yeah, there's plenty of booze, actually, here to my left-hand side, so I've tried <laughs> to to not wire into that early doors. Uh, we're also joined by Gav Kelly. How are you doing, Gav? Yeah, good, thanks. I cross my, I'm a wee bit jealous. I've got I've got some face cream <laughs> next to my arms, <laughs> so it's not quite the same as the, the sort of selection you've got there. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't go try eating that. Um, that's a completely different type of podcast, I think, to this one. Um, as we say, it's the normal Monday podcast where we look back a wee bit at some of the the topics from the weekend, and we look ahead to some of the some of the stuff coming up and some of the wider um, issues as well surrounding Rangers. Ross, I'll come to you first. Muddle game at the weekend away at Fir Park. We tend to like to score goals at Fir Park, and I guess we saw that. Again at the uh, at the weekend on Saturday, four goals, albeit two conceded. What are your what are your thoughts on on the on the game? Just a quick a quick summary. Um, Forty hours on. Yeah, I think it's very much a a Rangers performance of this year again. Uh, we've seen some of the worst of this Rangers team, but some of the best. Yeah, I think the first half was a wee bit slow, a wee bit tentative. Probably a little bit shocked by the goal uh, conceding so early, and and took a wee while to get control of the game. Um, good time to score, obviously, in the in the first half from Tavernier, and I think the second half. I know Motherwell got the goal to to equalise again, but I think it was a bit it was a bit of a battering to be honest. That second half, and it probably should have been by more. So, yeah, overall, uh, I, I think it was a decent performance, probably verging on good with that second half. And again, it's just it's three points, isn't that away from home? Uh, Michael Beale continues to to keep that away record strong. So, yeah positive for me all round, I think, Craig. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll come on to talk about Michael Beale and his, his record so far as Rangers manager and where we see the positives coming from that. There's still a hell of a lot of negativity around the club at this moment in time. So um, and it tends to be coming from fans. It's coming online. It's coming from matters off the pitch. And there's still matters on the pitch as well, I think, that, that fall into that as well. Before we get on to that, Gav, a lot of the fallout from the weekend has been focused around VAR. There are three, I guess, key decisions that VAR had a say in, or two that VAR had a say in and one that it didn't from the Muddle game. There was Muddle's first goal, whether it was onside or offside, depends which which line you use, if it's a straight one or a dodgy one. Um, Rangers third goal, I think, is probably falls into the same category as whether you use a straight line or a dodgy line. Um, and then there was Motherwell's sending off, whether it was a, a second yellow card or not. There are um, there are various different people have had their views on this one. I was listening to the, the BBC um, Sports Sound podcast earlier on today. Richard Gordon uh, on Sunday's edition of Sports Sound said Cantwell cheated, which I thought was a very strong word to use, um, especially having seen the incident and and what actually happened, and many people have seen the clip from from sports scene as well last night, in which Ricky Foster um, said it's an absolute embarrassment from Cantwell. I don't think Tyson Fury would knock him down that quickly. What are your thoughts, Gav, on on those kind of comments that that came in? It seems a bit ridiculous. I know my take on the incident, I guess, is that the guy I didn't catch Cantwell on the face, but he did catch him around his neck, his his, his, his bottom, of his chin, kind of thing. 
it was a bit of an overreaction, but it's the kind of reaction we see from football football players up and down the country. I think it was a yellow card, if I'm being honest, and I think it was a it was a deserved second yellow card. What are your thoughts, Kev? Yeah, the the two goals, first of all. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen the the footage from the other stand, the opposite stand to the main stand, and it kind of backs up VAR in that both the goals are onside and it's actually look a lot more onside than the the main stand sort of footage. And again, VAR uses more cameras than just that one that the TV footage potentially might have. Um, I don't think there's any con- controversy in the, the goals, plus they're that marginal that they should go in, in favour of the attacker anyway, if it was sort of with the naked eye. But the the red card, it's, you can't swing your arm in somebody's face and not expect to get a yellow card. It's, it's not about how hard he's swung his arm, he's, he's hit him in the face with his forearm. Um, again, Cantwell's um, gone down, but there's, there's not professional football in the world when they get hit in the face, isn't going to hold their face and, and go down. It's, it's as simple as that, really. And it's the old, any other team, somebody had the one up with Morales on Porteous earlier on in the season. Again, it's it's what colour shirt the players wearing that's, that's important, not the actual incident itself. But Motherwell's Ricky Foster making the comment about um, whether or not it's a, a yellow card or not was a bit a bit strange. And um, Richard Gordon, we all know what his allegiances are and his um, his editorial fairness when it comes to Rangers. Yeah, absolutely, Ross. I'm keen to get your thoughts more on the reaction than the instance themselves. Caroline says here uh, Richard Foster's comments in sports scene about Cantwell were out of order, uh, and then I found out he works for Motherwell. Um, Ophara Hill just says sports scene and sports sound. Um, AG saying something I've never heard in my life, looking very professional, Mister Dennett. Um, Ross, what were your views on the uh, on the reaction to the instance, especially from the likes of Richard Gordon on Sports Sound, Ricky Foster, and some of the ones we've seen online as well? Well, I have to say, I actually, I really, I try not get involved in this, right, because. We see this every week from sports scenes, sports sound. There's always something that there's always some sort of controversy when it comes to a Rangers game. It's just it's just what they do, to be honest. And they know that they gets people listening and gets people clicking. So I, I can I can understand it, right? Uh, but it was actually one of the first ones I've commented on this year because of the phrase used by Richard Gordon, in which he said that Motherwell were cheated. I, I don't think Motherwell was cheated uh, on Saturday afternoon. I I think Calum Slattery has done what most football players do. You, you you see at amateur level where they've waited for contact and they're going to push off from it. And unfortunately, he's he's flung his arm a wee bit too high and he's caught Cantwell. Does Cantwell maybe overreact slightly? Maybe. He maybe does. He maybe he feigns a wee bit that we don't like to see, but unfortunately, this is part of football now. Um, so the, the reaction is just over the top. It's it's a yellow card. You know, that that that. I don't understand where the debate's coming from. You can't hit someone in the face with your fo- with, with the back of your arm. It's just ridiculous. I don't. It's just a. It's just controversy being created for the sake of it and because it's Rangers. Um, like I said, I don't want to go too hard here because you know it's another podcast. But that that, that podcast spent thirty minutes yesterday discussing purely refereeing performances. That's their analysis of Scottish football. This is where we are, you know, that unless we change the analysis from being refereeing decisions onto the actual quality of the game, this is where we're going to be. And unfortunately, that is how they're going to get their clicks and it's going to get people listening. So 
yeah, irritated me today that one. I don't usually comment on them. I try and stay out of it. But yeah, the the phrase cheated is just just completely out of order. No one was cheating in that game. It's a second yellow card all day. Yeah, I think you make a very fair point about about the media approach in in this country towards um towards how how they cover football, the type of headlines they try and create, the type of questions that they even ask players, and the, the I guess the lack of insight that they try and give fans to um to everything. So I guess the um ones I guess Rangers reviewer probably different in that sense in terms of they do provide more tactical analysis, more of a focus on Rangers, more of a an insight into what's going on behind the scenes. But the general the, the stalwarts of the Scottish football media, I guess you would call them, the likes of the Daily Record, the Scottish Sun, the the Herald, the, the ones that would that were historically the the only ones that anyone would go to for for information that they trust. They just they've fallen too too far down into the the digital clickbait hole and it's it's created a, a real disdain for the game but also a lack of uh, just a, a, an apparent lack of knowledge about the game as well or an apparent lack of interest in the game and I think it really is turning people onto onto other avenues for media and that's why I guess people are starting to watch podcasts like ours and that one Ross I'm going to stick with you because you spoke about Todd Cantwell um, quite a lot yesterday after you I think you rewatched the game or you maybe rewatched the highlights and you were speaking talk about Todd Cantwell quite a bit. I thought he had a really good game again on Saturday. I think all of his games so far, maybe minus one, he's been pretty much the man of the match for for us so far. Um, this guy spoke a lot, a lot on last night's podcast around should we start to build the team around um, Todd Cantwell. For, how happy are, have you been with Todd Cantwell so far and how how impressed are you by how quickly he's, he's adjusted to the Scottish football? We've seen players in the past struggle to kind of adapt quickly enough to it um, and, and kind of show it on the pitch, but he seems to have taken it to it like a duck to water. Yeah, I've been really impressed with Todd Cantwell. I think I'm um, extremely grateful that the club took the risk in January and, and paid the fee to get him in because I think there's always a risk if you let that contract run down to the summer that someone comes in with a, a greater financial package than we can offer and the, and the player goes there. So I'm grateful the club just went in and got, got Todd Cantwell. We We've seen how good a player he can be in the Premier League. And I think the the first couple of performances, it took him a wee bit. I think there was glimpses of what he could offer. I think the last two or three games, you've really seen the real Todd Cantwell. And probably he's offering a lot more than I think most Rangers fans, fans would have expected. I think his ability to play deeper in the park uh, is, is really good. Something I didn't really expect to see myself. I thought he would be that kind of old school number 10 um, or maybe play off the left but he looks to get involved the, the majority of the game really good at turnovers in terms of winning the ball back for us as well that's something I think that he spoke about before that he wasn't really sure why it was leveled at him that he didn't work hard off the ball and I think he's showing that that's exactly what he's capable of and yeah you're right I, di- I did watch the game back yesterday I sometimes try to watch the game back when it's a wee bit frantic like that and there's so many goals involved just to try and see some of the patterns that we're trying to play with under Beal. And I thought I thought uh, Todd Cantwell's passing range uh, on Saturday was fantastic. I mean, I think it was on our Twitter account. I think I may be seeing yourself, Gavin, tweeting it today that the pass-through for Cholak where he has that uh, unfortunate shot that he doesn't <laughs> cut back. The, the, the pass from Todd Cantwell is... I think, if that go, I think if that is a goal, we're talking about that pass all weekend. 
Um, it's, a, it's a line splitter. He's very deep in midfield and he's managed to play Cholak through one-on-one. So I think we're, we're starting to see the the real best of Todd Campwell now. I think he can only get better. And and as for being the team being built around him, I, I think he's definitely got to be one of those players that we build around. I think there's a few others in there that, that would put their hand up as feeling that they're the one of the most important players in the team. But he is certainly one of them. He's really showing how good a player he is and I can't wait to see more of him to be honest I think he's really shown us now that it was well worth that fee Yeah I absolutely agree with that when you think it was it was a mere £1.5 million pounds, I think was the, was the rumoured final fee that we paid for him um, and he's already looking worth every penny of that and much much more uh, A few comments coming in AG saying TII is the best Rangers podcast most of the fan media makes me feel like my IQ is in free fall I'm not sure whether that says about everyone else if you're if you're saying me and Ross are, are up there with the, with the, with the higher IQ people but um, we'll definitely take it um, AG also saying uh, I agree I agree with Ross I've been very impressed with Cantwell's defensive and pressing capabilities Caroline saying I'm loving Todd Cantwell he's a smashing wee player Gav I Going by the comments I've heard you make, and, and obviously you were speaking um, about Cantwell's passing on uh, Saturday as well. You've been impressed by him since he's come into the club? Yeah, I think what we're seeing now is sort of, as he gets more minutes in his legs, a sort of second phase of Todd Cantwell when he first came in. What surprised people was his work rate off the ball, winning the ball back, uh, making interceptions. And he, he wasn't playing safe, but he was... If you've not played for a while, yet, it's certainly creative players. Our vision tends not to be as, as open and don't see as, as big a picture. But he's now starting to see that that whole park in front of him because he's got that that ability to to see things quicker. And he's brought a, a speed to our midfield, which is not just his individual movement in terms of getting from A to B, but the when the guys on Twitter as well had the video of him switching place. He takes one touch and switches it instantly on the volley. Whereas we've got no other midfielders that would do that. They'd get the ball under control, play it back to Ben Davis. Where he's taking one touch, switching it to Tav, and then his first thought is to go and help the attack. We've not got any other midfielders that would that would make that sort of decision before the balls came to him. It's a touch to get it under control. Then they're thinking about what they're going to do with it. Um, maybe Stephen Davis is the sort of player that he knows what he's going to do with the ball before it comes to him. Um, but in terms of that sort of playing in that sort of deeper role, uh, Cantwell's adding that passing range to the, the work rate that's, that's that caught a few people out, but he's shown he's the sort of player that he's multi-dimensional and that if there's games that we are not dominate possession, he's still going to be handy and that when we do get the ball, he's still just as capable of creating something and like playing against better teams, there's going to be more space for him to pick the sort of pass that he, he picked for Cholak. Yeah, I think so. And I think I have to agree. Darren Nock in the comments here also agrees. He says, Tobiel's first two signings, I assume he means Cantwell and Raskin, show he knows what a good player is. Um, we'll come back to who actually should get credit for for the two signings and, and how that should be shared, I guess. Um, but it kind of feeds a bit into the, the next discussion that, that I'm going to take us on to as well. Ross, it feels like there's been like a big wave of negativity amongst Rangers fans, particularly online, since the League Cup final defeat to Celtic, pretty much. I think it's it seems to come in wave after wave since then. Um, and recent, probably the last few days, I feel like people are almost seeking out negativity around the club and trying to find stuff to pick up and try and batter people in, in the club with. I know there's a, a there's a lot of, of 
discussions and arguments going on off the pitch between the board and the union bears and some fans feel very strongly around that one. Why do you think people are searching for reasons to, to criticise the club? I think it just comes back to the to on the pitch matters, to be honest, Craig. I think the the League Cup final is a sore one for the fans to take. I think you could argue before it was it came at a perfect time for Michael Beale. He's got a real opportunity to to put his put his mark in this team, put his mark in the club as manager. But also then you've got to look at it the other way when it doesn't go his way. It's it's a terrible time really um to pick up that that first trophy loss because he's not long in the door. And I think the negativity was building before that. If you remember, I think there was protests. At, was it Livingston? I think that the fans were yeah. um, d- displaying banners yeah, around, you know, the, yeah. the kind of yeah the trophy hall and things like that. So it's been building for a while. What I will say is that fans are right to to have their opinion and, and voice it. Uh, I don't like this from the club that potentially removing banners and things like that. I know there was discussion on that last week. We won't go into that again. Um, but people are right to voice their opinion, they're allowed to, so I want that to continue. But I do think there has been a lot, especially in social media and over the last week, that there doesn't really need to be the negativity around. I think I've seen it today around Nico Raskin's injury, people fearing the worst. I understand that, there's maybe a bit of scar tissue there, but oh, that'll be him out for months. Our, med- our medical team are uh, at fault for this. Players get injured. You know, that this is just football, this is what happens. So that's just one example. There's been plenty um, over the last week. I'm sure you've maybe got them written down there. But yeah, I think it just comes down to the to the first team, mate. And if they're not winning, there's always going to be negativity. There's always going to be people that are overly negative about Rangers. Uh, and there's also going to be people on the other side that are overly positive um, and really won't say anything uh, bad about the club. So I think we need to try and find somewhere in the middle. And I know it's difficult for fans to maybe have a bit of patience, but I'm sure we're going to come on to this. Things are looking good under Michael Beale. Okay, it's maybe not the progression we wanted in terms of trophies. He had his first opportunity there to win one and he didn't get it. But everything else, the signs are there that the team are progressing. So we need to try and park what's happened before this season in terms of Michael Beale coming in and try and get behind the team for the rest of the season. When it gets to the end of the season and we maybe don't have the trophy hall that we expected, then I'm absolutely fine with the fans being overly negative in the summer to try and address things. But right now, I think things are more positive than they seem, put it that way. Yeah, we've got a few comments coming in. Um, the first one here, sorry, I'm not going to try and pronounce your name because I have no idea where the, the word split there. It says exactly only because the League Cup final, let's all hold our blue nose and get to the summer. Beal is a man. Uh, Rangers lad uh, J72 says Michael Beale has us performing in the league it's the fact that we simply can't continue winning one trophy a season if we win the Scottish Cup we have to maintain domestic dominance over them um, and then uh, Robert Robertson says the Cup final was an aberration Beale got everything wrong on that day it's how he reacts that matters and it's looking good so far Gav, one of the things that Ross mentioned was that normally if you're winning on the pitch the fans are happy off the pitch. Now, um, we have been winning on the pitch. I think it's fair to say Michael Beale, I think it's 18 wins out of 20 games under Michael Beale. The two that, that we haven't won were the draw at Ibrox against Celtic where they scored late on and we should have won. And then the League Cup final, I would have to agree with the previous comment that Michael Beale was at fault for the League Cup final purely from a team selection 
perspective and I think we've that's what that's long been drawn out of that discussion but we won't go back into it a few more facts uh, we're currently on a 17 league game unbeaten run 16 victories and one draw it feels like the positive signs are there Gav um, and that's well before Michael Beals even had a chance to really put a stamp on this team in any way we uh, comment came up earlier where they spoke about the, the two signings they mean he knows what he's talking about but really he's it is literally two signings. He's not had any more than that. But I personally feel the positive signs are there for us under Beal so far. I don't part of me wondered if it was part if it was um potentially a bit of a new manager bounce, but I think we're well beyond that time period now that you would normally see for that kind of thing. And I think it's more of a sustained level of improvement that we're seeing. We've been to some difficult away places. We've been to Tynecastle, we've been to Easter Road, we've been to to Fir Park and we've we've won comprehensively at the mall and we've won quite impressively at the mall. I think would you agree that the positive signs are there for Michael Beale? Yeah, I think it's the you look at even games that we've not played well. Um and we've scored three of three goals quite a lot in, in games that we've all sat and gone weren't actually that good today, but if you're scoring three goals and could have scored more, you're obviously doing something right. It's for me the the only issue just now is the the silly wee mistakes that we're making at, at the weekend. But again, how much of that is is Michael Beals? So the the first the two goals at the weekend, how much of those on centre halves losing the striker or the second goal? Tav not Tav putting a biscuit tin on his head before he tries to clear a corner um Cholak's not putting the ball out for another corner it's it's that's not on Michael Bielkin so it's it's those sort of individual mistakes we need to clear up but there's not much you can do about those but in terms of how we're playing my biggest fear before he came was the resorting to crosses and I think it was Startsbum Startsbum had it up about the picture with that we're still in is it top 10 leagues in Europe or something like that putting in more crosses than any other team how much of a a lag there is from from Geo. Um, I'm still not. I didn't quite say it was just for the whole season. So, and we still have that tendency. Well, we did it in three Wraith Rovers, I think, to resort to to crosses. But if you've got fullbacks like Borna and Tav, who are good crosses, that's what they're they're going to do. So it's just a case of looking at improvements that we made at the weekend, in particular the number of bodies we were getting into the box, so that. There's more than one option. So if the ball's wide and you're looking up and there's not really anything on, nine times out of ten, you'll just put a cross in, hoping that something happens. Whereas if you've got four, five, six bodies, you're more likely to play a pass because you've got more targets, especially the last two goals. We've got in behind. And when you're cutting the ball back and there's four people there, you're more likely to get either the first contact, the second, or we've got three rebounds off Liam Kelly. So it's straight away, hopefully we've learned that by committing more people in the box. And Beale said that after Race Rovers that he wants Kent and Cantwell to be more positive in terms of getting in. And I've never seen Kent so many times actually round about the penalty or six yard spot, actually looking to get into those positions. Normally he'd be hanging outside. I mean he was trying to challenge for a header with six foot four centre half, but he'd maybe be better waiting for the second ball on those occasions. But um it, it certainly looks like the lessons are starting to be learned in terms of how he's wanting us to play. Yeah, Ross, I think Gav mentioned there about the total number of crosses and he said maybe it's a bit of an overhang from the, the Geo era. Um, I think 
to be honest, under Steven Gerrard, I remember us spending games flinging crosses into the box. I don't necessarily think it's a, a Giovanni van Bronckhorst uh, style thing. I think it is when when teams pack the box and they're they're tight and they're compact and they're narrow. The space is out wide in, in the areas where James Tavernier and Borna Barisic have historically been. And that's why having two players who can cross the ball or put a good ball into the box has been really important. I think one of the main issues that we've got and Gav touched on it is that they were not getting the players in the box to support an Alfredo Morelos or to, to support a big Tony goals um, in there. And I think, <laughs> I was waiting for the reaction from Ross, but he didn't even give me it. Um, I think there's... Uh, <laughs> no, he didn't flinch at all. Um, I think there's the um, there, there's, there's the need for us to get more people in there. And, and Gav said about Ryan Kent getting into the box. We need Tillman to get in there more. We need Cantwell to get in there more. But do you think crossing the ball is, is always going to be part of our game? I don't, I don't see that really disappearing at any point going forward but I think Michael Beale especially when he first came in it's kind of tailed off a wee bit but Michael Beale has wanted to try and play a bit more direct try and play a bit more through the middle even if that just creates a wee bit of, of uncertainty amongst the defending team Yeah I think the problem when it comes to crossing is crossing for the sake of it and I think we've seen that with this Rangers team a few times I think we actually seen it on Saturday with Motherwell when they scored I felt we went back to that I think both Ridvan and Tav tried to put balls into the area. I don't think anyone was in the area. Or Cho- Cholak might have been breaking in, and both crosses were completely wayward. Didn't even didn't even get anywhere near the target. And so I think the problem is crossing for the sake of it. And this team does have it in them sometimes to panic and maybe not look to play through the middle and take a wee bit more risk there. And they just look to deliver a ball. What I will say is, and, and Gav made a really good point there. When you have players like James Tavernier and Bora Barisic and their skill set is to cross the ball, you're going to play that way. You know, you the, the, all the best managers and all the best coaches set up an approach, a tactical philosophy, whatever you want to call it, that gets the best out of the players that they have. That That is my belief anyway. I always think the managers that can recognise that the, the players they have and set up a system to, to utilise them are the best. And we're going to continue to try and utilise... Tavernier and Barisic crossing. I mean, we've seen it at the weekend for the second goal. It's an unbelievable cross from Tavernier. I think the, the finish from Sakala is really good. Um, I think there's a bit of debate what he meant to do there, but at the end of the day, he put it in the top corner. But the ball in from Tavernier is ridiculous. You know, it's, he's got one touch to get it out, shape himself up, and he's whipped it into the back post. The Motherwell defenders have got no chance. It's They've got no chance, so... I think this is something we're going to continue to see going forward. We're probably going to have to get used to it. Sometimes it's going to be a wee bit frustrating because as a defender, especially in the SBFL, you probably do think that that is the best way for you to defend against teams if they just lump it into the area. So it can be a wee bit frustrating sometimes. As for the getting men into the box, I know uh, Gavin's been talking about this for a couple of weeks. My slight frustration when it comes to this is maybe not necessarily men in the box, but once we get into the box, what we do with it in terms of, I don't think we hit the byline enough and cut the ball back. You see it's such an effective way of scoring goals, not just in this league, you see it in the Premier League every single week. It's something that Arsenal and Manchester City try and utilise every time, every single game that they play in. I know that we're not that level, but you can certainly try uh, to utilise some of the approaches that these teams take. So, of course, filling the box with more players gives defenders more to be concerned about. And once you get into the ace areas, what, what do we do with the ball? It's something that we will 
I'm sure continue to improve under Nabil. And I think I think what I'm talking about there when it comes to cutbacks, we've seen it at the weekend. Um, that ball's played through from Kent to Alfredo Morelos, and I think Alfredo Morelos of the whole time he's been here cracks that shot across across the keeper. Even if he believes he's not really got a chance, I think he just takes a swing at it there. But he actually composes himself, puts his foot in the ball and picks out Tillman in the edge of the box. Could be considered a cutback, I suppose, and we score from it. So, listen, I think there's a lot of positive signs under Beal. I think you're starting to see a lot more patterns in there. Um, but as for the kind of old frustrations of crossing, I think that's something that's going to be here until Tavernier and, and Barisic move on, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I realise we are trying to be show or highlight some of the positives around around Rangers and, and some of the positive aspects of the of since Michael Beals came in. Um but I, I'm I am going to succumb to some of the comments and while we've been talking about crossing going forward, a lot of people in the comments have been talking about how badly we defend crosses. And Gav, I'm going to come to you as a as a, a war weary centre half in your in your days as a as a as a player. Um, Random Madness says uh, the amount of balls that we get put in against the space between the goal and the, the defender stands out a lot. We need centre-backs who aren't frightened to put the ball out the park too. There's been lots of comments about how the, the full-backs don't defend crosses well in terms of being able to block them. Or if you're on the other side, when the ball's coming in, covering the back post. What are your thoughts on, on how we defend crosses? And we do seem to we do seem to concede an inordinate amount of goals from from those kind of avenues. Yeah, if you look at almost every goal we concede from from across, it's easy to say, oh, the fullbacks should should close down the wingers quicker and all this sort of thing. But a lot of time, you've got, and you see them warming up. If you, when you watch Rangers warming up, the back four get taken aside and they work on their shape and being close together and move, moving as a unit. So there's always going to be space outside. When, when we are set, there's always going to be space outside. So if it's a good ball in a channel, and the first ball was a good ball in the channel, it was a good run, Strikers stayed offside and then the wingers made the run in behind. So it was a good first ball. So he only needs one touch. Maybe he doesn't need, even need a touch to play that, that ball across. So straight away, you're taking the full back out in terms of being able to defend that. But what we're really bad at, and, and this is something that uh, I've kind of said this before as well, Goldson is in particular, this is his, his main weakness. If anything, it's probably his only weakness in, in terms of as a, as a centre half, is it? Because he's usually the the partner that, that organises the defence rather than the one that's the natural attacker of the ball, he'll automatically look to go into a, a space that he thinks is the best place to defend and where he thinks the ball's going to go. Rather than actually, if he's closest to the striker, staying with the striker and either interrupting the run fairly or making the first contact when the ball's, ball's put in, because he is stronger than most strikers. But we see it too many times that we've got the numbers in the box and we're still losing these goals. And it's it's simple communication, but it's also basics in terms of going for the man and staying with the man. Because if you're standing next to somebody, chances of them getting a clean contact is a lot less than if you give them a few yards of space to get it away. And I think I think that's one thing that we miss with Halander. He is he is a natural sort of Sort of second phase defender where it's you're not attacking a header or you're not um, 1v1 versus a player it's actually when the ball's coming in after the, the first ball's been lost sort of thing and he's quite good at reading that situation and putting himself in a position where he can interrupt somebody that's maybe going to be, be taking the shot but 
it's something that, as well as the other end, we need to work on it because it's clearly clearly a weakness in terms that teams are going to start looking for quick balls into the channels for either the wingers or fullbacks to run into, and a quick ball into the middle because it's it's happening too often for it for it not to be a an issue that we need to fix. Yeah, absolutely, and I do think it's it's something that people have noticed more and more. But I don't think it's a necessarily just a this season issue. I think it was an issue that we were seeing under. Even Steven Gerrard started last season. I think what was it? We were conceding the first goal a lot and a lot. Coming from crosses. In terms of some of the comments coming in, Robbie RFC eighteen seventy two. Defense is part of the team that lets the team down. We are so good in front of goal, but we concede far too many goals. Um, Pete Lawrence then and Ross, I'm going to come to you for your thoughts on this one. Pete Lawrence still thinks Davies isn't the answer for a first team partner for Golson. Too leaky. Needs someone a bit more fearless and dominant, in my opinion. I'm going to say I. Don't personally agree with any of that comment from Pete. I think Ben Davies is is going to be a stalwart for us going forward. Um, he's I think he's shown since he came back from injury just how how good he is on on the ball, how good he is at reading the game, and how good he is at being that player that goes and attacks the ball. He, I think he generally takes the first five or ten minutes to figure out the striker and how they play. Then after that, he just kind of dominates them from from there on in. What are your thoughts, Ross? Yeah, I like how you've picked me out there to, to fight off the comments around Ben Davies. Um, I think I think what strikes me about Ben Davies as a centre-back is he looks like a, a modern-day ball-playing defender and that, of course, his first thought has got to be about defending as a centre-back pairing. But I think he defends the ball a lot differently than what we've probably seen over the years as a Rangers centre-back. And I think you're right there to highlight that he does take maybe five, ten minutes to work out the striker, but you'll see it all the time when the ball gets sent over his head. He doesn't really look to attack the ball. He just looks to maybe get his arm in, get his arm in front of the, the striker, let the ball settle, and then he'll play out from there. I think there's I think there's a lot to be admired about Ben Davies, how he plays at centre-back. I don't think I could play that position as composed as he does. He doesn't look flustered in any situation. He's very good at reading uh, teams in transition. He seems to block passing lanes very well. Seems to cover for Golden very well if he pushes out. So for me, I don't think I would. I don't think he's leaky. That's not something I would put against him. I can see where people are coming from that maybe he doesn't attack the ball as aggressively as what you would want from a centre back pairing with Connor Golden because I think Connor Golden is someone that we look at as well as quite a good ball playing defender. But I actually think the two of them do complement each other quite well. And I think as a centre-half pairing, you probably want for Rangers in domestic football and that the majority of the time, we're not going to be under a lot of pressure, right? So you want centre-backs there that are comfortable in possession. Certainly comfortable in possession and picking out a pass through the lines. I think that's what we've got with both of them. So I, can, I, I do understand a lot what people see in Ben Davies. Maybe they have a wee bit of reservation so far. But I think we're going to see as time goes on that this guy's just going to get better and better. Uh, and I think a lot of the games over the last maybe month, he, he's been man of the match in quite a few of them. Uh, I don't know if he's... I think he'd given it in one that a lot of people disagreed with, but I actually thought he was that day. And I think there's a couple other where he's been man of the match. So for me, I, I'm, I'm fine with Ben Davies. I think he's been a good, a good signing from us. And I'm looking forward to his partnership continuing to grow because, let's be honest, we have been a lot better defensively since Cora Golson and Ben Davies came back. Uh, and that, that partnership looks really strong for us going forward. 
Yeah, Ross a point about five man of the matches after saying Todd Cantwell's been man of the match in every game he's played. Um, so <laughs> it's fine, Ross. You can be the t- the TV and the the sponsors man of the ma- man of the match decider, and you get two shots at it. So absolutely fine. Um, right, we've spoken a wee bit about the the negative side, I guess, of of what some weaknesses that that we see that this Rangers team has. Um, another weakness that we've seen in recent weeks, I guess, has been the headlines they give to to the media and the uh, and the sound bites that, that come out of that. I'm going to talk about um, a headline that we saw, I think it was a Scottish Sun article. Um, it was published overnight last night. Um, the headline, if you've not seen it, read, James Tavernier won Celtic, they'll see the real Rangers in the next Old Firm derby. I think it's safe to say, Gav, that people's reaction uh, was to instantly blame Tavernier and, oh, I can't believe he said that. Has he not learned from what Fashion Sakala did and how that turned out? And um, a couple of the things I saw, he doesn't help himself in the press. Wish we would just keep our mouth shut about stuff like this. He shouldn't say anything. It should just be one game at a time and that's all we take it. Um, Turns out it was a post-match interview after the game at the weekend that he did with the written press and it was... It was embargoed until until Monday. That's quite a regular kind of process to do with the with with the, with the press. Um, I read the transcript of what he actually said and what what that's what that read like was. We have we have to because we know the performance in the final wasn't good enough from our point of view. When he was asked if Celtic will see a different Rangers when they meet once again at Hamden, there is way more to give from us. I've got there's a few different layers to this one, Gavin. I'm going to come to you, and then Ross will come to your for your view on on the same kind of three layers. So, Gav, firstly, what were your thoughts uh, when you saw the headline initially? Uh, secondly, what did you make of Rangers fans' reaction to it? And then lastly, how did you feel when you read his actual quote and saw how out of context it was taken to sort of create that, I guess, clickbait headline like we spoke about earlier from from a mainstream media outlet? Yeah, it, it's one of those where. Even the initial headline, I wasn't that well. I mean, I'm one of those people just for, for contacts. Even Sakala before the Saturday League Cup final, I wasn't as bothered because you, you can look at it two ways. It's one of those things where it's just as the comment says there, you need to do your talking on the pitch. But if you're asked a question, somebody gives an honest answer, that's fine. But then what's happened here has just been don't buy the sun, don't buy the record, don't read them unless it makes you absolutely raging about the headline. And then fire away, don't read it, but just get raging at a headline that's got absolutely nothing to do with what's actually been said. It's just, it's one of those ones where it's, he's not even said anything remotely controversial. Find a Rangers fan that thinks that we played to our potential in the final, that the manager got things right and the players got everything right. And I think you're struggling there. But um, Tavenier said nothing that none of us don't all agree with. So how a mainstream media outlet then goes to sell that story is entirely up to them. So either read the article or don't read it. But if you're going to be raging about something that's completely honest and 100% correct, then I think that says more about individuals rather than actually what what Tav said. Um, Me personally, it it doesn't bother me at all. It's just the outrage it created, I just think. Again, it's confirmation bias of we're rubbish, Ross Wilson out, Tav's the, the prefix that tends to follow Tav as well is one of those ones where it's it's ready and it's armed. The, the tweets already in the in the drafts ready to go, and I think that's that's all. It's been just the perma raging fraternity of our support that just wants to wants to criticise 
everything and, and anything for whatever purpose it might might serve. Yeah, Ross, we've had quite a mixed reaction to this in the comments, actually. Um, I know Robert Robertson said he needs to do his talking on the park. Uh, R30 is the one on the screen just now. Stop reading the gutter press and having a knee-jerk reaction to the lies. Nori Max says uh, Tav needs to shut the fuck up and do his talking on the park. Tom Brown says media bullshit. That's why we watch fan media. Ofra Hill just don't buy the crap. It's a real mix of, of views and opinions, obviously. Going by the rate of the comments just now, it's one people feel quite strongly about. What what was your reaction to the whole situation today? It was it, to me, it was just a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah, very much the same as you, mountain out of a molehill. I, I agree a lot with what Gavin said there. To be honest, when I read these things now, the headline, I should probably go and read the article, right? But I actually don't. I, I usually just ignore it completely because I know that it's the headline is not going to match what was actually said in that interview. And it's just not something I look to get bothered about. I think the the only one that did slightly bother me was the Fashion Scala one, because I just thought, did you really need to go that far? But I still wasn't sitting there absolutely fuming about it and, and questioning Fashion Scala. And yeah, I just, for, for me... This is just what we have to be used to. You know, this is this is what we need to get used to, should I say, that the media are going to try and drive the narrative that they want. They know that the, the feelings surrounding the club at the moment for a lot of fans, and they're going to jump all over that opportunity when they can. It just interests me what the players think about, you know, these articles and these headlines, because they must, they must see them. They must be sent to them uh, by their agent and things like that and highlighting... Why would you want to talk to the media when they do that? Why would you want to to give them interviews anymore if they're just going to turn things into to headlines, really? So, yeah, for me, something made it or nothing again. You know, James Tavernier is saying exactly what we all think. You know, he didn't have a go at Celtic in any way. He just basically said, we have more to give, okay? And and we're looking to do that in the next, uh, the next semi-final performance. So... Yeah, for me, it's just it's something I try and not get bored with, Craig, to be honest. I've got too much to worry about when it comes to Rangers. I don't really want to get worried about headlines that don't really matter, to be honest with you. Yeah, you're too busy worrying about people's nicknames. Um, and we'll, we'll move on from That's that it. point there. Um, A petition to ban Tony Goals would be fantastic, Craig. That's what I'm looking for here. It was almost like you did that on purpose because we're about to go on and talk about Big Tony goals. Um, another he was another player that came in for criticism at the weekend. Uh, I saw someone describe his. I think it was sixty-five minutes he was on the park. Maybe slightly longer than that. Someone described it as a horror performance. Um, I don't think it was. I don't think it was quite that bad, if I'm being truly honest. But he does tend to have a game every now and again where he's not quite at it, or he's just he's not making any impact in the final third. And I do know he relies a lot on the service that's coming into him. But the way we were playing on Saturday, I did feel like he should have been more involved in the business end of the park. And he, he wasn't. And I do, as a bit, a bit of a concern, I think to me anyway, every third or fourth game, he just has a wee bit of a, he doesn't drop a lot. He still gets involved in the play, but he just doesn't quite hit the heights that we know he, that we know he can hit. And then he doesn't really impact the game as as much as we we want him to, or we believe a Rangers striker should. Gav, is that a concern to you that that we do have those drop offs in performance, or do you think it's actually do you think it's actually highlighted more because we don't have as many other players in the team contributing goals to kind of make up for for gaps left? 
it's almost impossible for for a player to play a hundred percent every game of every season. So is is it more about we need to build others around them that are going to contribute those goals? I think where where I am with this is is how you you actually assess um, Tony Cholak to give him his, his proper name is. Um, we're assessing them as, say, for my generation, it's Ali McCoist, okay, or Michael Moles, whatever. He wasn't bought for that purpose. He wasn't bought to be that that guy. In reality, we've got Alfredo Morelos, we've got Kimar Ruth. We know what Ruth's issues are, okay, but Cholak, everybody 100% fit, is third choice. He's a backup striker, he's a rotational striker, who's also probably going to get at least 25 goal contributions this season. That's not bad for somebody that's missed a couple of months, is has only just signed for the club and joined first half of the season when he was the only person scoring goals. So if we take it from that starting position of he's not been signed to replace Morales, so he's not been signed to be the first choice, number nine, even though he is a number nine, he's not been signed for that purpose. He's been signed to be one of three or four. If anything, he's been signed to replace Jermaine Defoe. So we look at, we never look at his position, what he used to do, He'd play not game at, at Ibrox, he'd score, he'd come off the bench, he'd play rotational to give Morales a rest if we had a midweek game and that sort of thing. So when you look at him like that, can you ask any more of somebody that has a very specific skill set and he's still going to end up with 20 goals for the season plus however many assists? Personally, for what we paid for him, I think that's a pretty good return. If Morales had been fit all season, would he have scored that, that many goals? Probably not but he probably would still have a better goals per minute ratio because that's what he would invariably do. So next season going forward, he's not going to be the main first-choice striker, but as one of three or one of four, he's already shown that he's, he's, he's more than good enough for me. Yeah, Ross, I'm, I'm interested in that, that final statement Gav made in terms of going forward, he's not going to be our, our first-choice striker. Uh, Thomas H says Cholak is good at what he does, but I don't think he ha- he is a Beal-type striker. Um Random Madness says Cholak has been playing the new role Morelos plays. Needs to start playing as a number nine again. Is Antonio Cholak good enough to be Rangers' first choice number nine? Oh, I don't think <laughs> so. Spot. I don't think so. I I think that we need someone else to be coming in and competing with uh, Antonio Cholak for that role. There's a lot I like about Cholak, to be honest with you. I think Gav summed him up very well in terms of his role within the squad. And I think it's funny that Gavin's on the podcast with me tonight because I think we were both really pushing to see Antonio Cholak more in domestic games because we know what he can offer in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net. And I think this just shows you that you really are only, you're only as good as your last game. And that, and that just doesn't fall for Rangers fans. That falls for every single club, right? Everyone was absolutely raving about Antonio Cholak, especially after that game against Hibs. You know, everyone was saying, wow, this guy's really shown that he can really grab this number nine slot and he can make it his own. Granted, he's had an absolutely horrendous day at the office on Saturday, but I think we just need to look at it as that. He had a bad game. And I think the only difference between Sakala and Cholak at the weekend is that Sakala got his goal because I actually thought they were both rotten to be honest, until Sakala got his goal. So it's difficult if you're playing up there in a two, really, and the guy next to you really isn't doing anything for you either. Now they're both culpable of that. They weren't helping each other. But I just think we've got to look at it as he had a bad day, and that's it. 
the overall question in terms of is he the is he the guy going forward that I want to see leading the line for Rangers week in week out? No, I don't. I'd like to see someone of higher quality. That's going to cost us quite a bit, but I'd like to see someone of higher quality in there. But he's definitely someone that we can utilize. I mean, Gavin spoke about his statistic there. If he finishes this season with twenty-five goal contributions, what a fantastic return for a guy that cost us around one and a half, two million. That that's that's really good. You know, I think we just yeah, we need to get lay off a wee bit sometimes. He said a bad game, and that's it. Just put it down as that. And I think I think what's made it seem worse than what it actually was is that chance he's missed, right? We've seen it last season. Um, with uh, Ahmed Diallo at Dundee United when he didn't cut the ball back for Sakala. I don't think he ever recovered from that, Diallo, with the fans. I don't think it's as far with Cholag, but what I mean is these things stick in your mind. They always do. We're all guilty of this. I have things, I uh, know, uh, grievances with players that things have done that's probably years ago that I should probably go over. It's just because that one sticks in your mind, I think. But we should just try and move forward. He's definitely got a role in this Rangers squad, Antonio Cholak. But I would still like to see a number nine come in this summer. Yeah, there's some some interesting comments on this one. A lot of them do agree with with what you both said, uh, Ross and Gav. Pete Warren says if he was in a Smith team, he would be a sub. Uh, Rangers lad uh, J72 says he's not good enough to rely on for a season. He's a bench player for me. I think Bill knows this as the rumours are he's looking at two to three strikers. Our 30 saying um, not first choice for a whole season, but a natural striker who will be important for us. And then, I'm, I'm not even sure why I'm bringing this one up, but the trying Scotsman says McBurney is on is on free, um, and we'll just end. We'll just. I think maybe maybe we should even block the trying Scotsman for that comment. To be fair, that's, a, that's an absolute shocker. That one. Um, I think, like you said, Ross. I think 25 goal contributions for a season for someone who cost I think it was 1.8 million was the the figure I saw. Um, bandied about for him is is really good and when you consider he was out for two months of that season the season as well um struggling with injuries and little niggles and stuff like that and it, it took his time to get to get back up and running with us I think that's been a, a real positive uh Gav final question on Antonio Cholak um him and Alfredo Morelos are the, the two strikers we've got really that can that can lead the line. Uh, we know Alfredo Morelos' situation in terms of his contract runs out at the end of the season. There were some rumours last week, I think it was, about um, signing a pre-contract with Sevilla. Michael Beals came out and said that's absolutely not the case. If Alfredo Morelos is to leave the club, which I think Alfredo Morelos' time at Rangers is is up, to be honest, and it's a, it's a thank you very much, Alfredo. You've, you've been fantastic for us and well, well worth your £1 million that we paid for you, but thank you very much. And uh, it's time for us both to go in a different direction. But in terms of how how would you split their game time for the rest of the season? How would would, you, would Antonio Cholak, because you know he's going to be here next season, whether he's going to be starting striker or whether he's going to be on the bench, is Antonio Cholak the one who should should be the, the first-choice striker from here on in? Or do you... Do you still go game by game and there's certain times when Alfredo Morelos will lead the line better for us? I think I think the game by game thing is is the right way to go because you look at the, the skill set. So so Beals tweaked tweaked the system slightly. So we're pretty much playing with two strikers. So um whether it's Sakala and Cholak or Tillman as we saw at the weekend and from Beale's comments as well, it looks like he's Got to be pushed forward into one of those striking roles as well now, which which will be interesting to see. And for me, if it's if it's Tillman and Cholak, 
I think you would see more control sort of around the box in terms of somebody able to hold up the play better, whereas Sakala tends to be a bit more sort of chaotic. And you wouldn't need Cholak to do to get involved as much in the build-up play if he was playing with Tillman, for example. Well, theoretically, anyway, but then Morelos and Sakala, I, I don't think that would work as well. Um, so it's, it's, I think it depends on who Beal wants to play together. I think Tillman could play with either of them. The, ironically, the, the pairing that Beal spoke about, Morales and Cholak playing together, is one that we've we've never seen but for maybe 10 minutes in, in total since since Beal's actually came. So um, I think those are the sort of pairings we'll look at about game-by-game game basis. Again, I think I think at Ibrox, I'd like to see Cholak play more often than not because we've, we've got the more space, we'll have more control, we'll have more possession. Teams tend to sit in as well. And I think that's the thing where... I don't know it's a coincidence that the games that Cholak's not played that well, he's not had much support or Cross has been getting thrown in when he's playing up against four defenders, five defenders, or it's been him and Sakala up against six or seven defenders. So it's it doesn't matter how good you are, unless the ball is right on your head, you're gonna you're gonna to struggle to do to make any sort of impact there. So as it always is, same under Walter Smith, somebody mentioned about Smith um earlier on. There was games that Boyd would get dropped. There was games that Kusan would come in. There'd be Darshall would play. It's horses for courses, in it? and it always should be. But going, even going back to like my United's team, late nineties, they had their four strikers that we can all name, and you could almost pick which two were going to play in certain games. And I think that's how, how we should go as well. It doesn't have to be one or the other. You can you can appreciate the qualities that all of them have got once we have a set a set sort of three or four in, in terms of forward department. Yeah, I think the comments on this one are interesting. Again, uh, Darren Knox saying Bill will watch the effort in training and that will pick our starting striker. Um, Robbie RFC 1872 says Morelos is going to prove a point to Bill and show why he should stay. Pete Warren says it's off the ball in one cup. It's it's the off the ball in one cup. We need more of that contribution too. A more well-rounded footballer. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how how that plays out. I am. More of a, I was going to say I'm more of a mind to start Cholak, but I'm also wanting Rangers to win every game, and I'm not necessarily sure that Antonio Cholak starting every game is is how we're going to win, win everyone that's left in in the league and and in the cup. So I think it'll be really interesting to watch and see how how both players handle it. I think probably it's safe to say Antonio Cholak will handle it better than Alfredo Morelos will handle it in terms of being in and out of the team, um, and whether Alfredo Morelos is the kind of player that you need. To consistently be in, in in the team because actually the only way he gets up to match pace and the only way he gets the accuracy in his shots and the only way he gets that fire in his belly is if he's if he's playing every week and he's scoring goals and he's getting the adulation of the crowd and when he's in and out in and out I don't know how how good his contribution will be for the rest of the season with that being with that being the case I think it's it's an interesting one um, to watch and I think it'll be. Um, I think it'll be an interesting one going forward as well. Um, before I move on to the final point of the podcast, I do realise we're just about to touch on the, the hour mark. Ross, I wanted to to get your thoughts on this one. Uh, Gav spoke about the sort of Malik Tillman coming into into the game and how that was a bit of a tweak to the system. Michael Beale spoke about that as well and his, his post match um, his post match side of things as to how we can we have that ability now with the likes of Tillman, with the likes of Cantwell to to tweak the system as and when so that we go either two up top or we go one slightly behind or however we see fit to try and just 
move the defences around to try and create that space that we need to get in behind them. I wanted your thoughts on this comment from R30. He says, the money being asked for Tillman would be better spent on a proven number nine. Um, I think we're all expecting Malik Tillman to arrive at Rangers, or at least for Rangers to, to put the money up um, to buy him. I think it was £5 million was the quoted um, the quoted release clause fee. Now, I don't know what the machinations are behind the scene in terms of what Bayern Munich need to do to allow that to happen, or if it's an automatic um, if it's an automatic Malik Tillman gets to gets to come and it's up to Malik Tillman as well does he want to come to Rangers or actually does he feel he's proven himself here and he's got a better opportunity either to get A get in the Bayern team I think that would be probably quite far far fetched at this moment in time or to get into a, a team that's maybe more prominent in the Champions League for example the, than we have been especially especially this year firstly hopefully um, and I, I think we'll, time will tell, but hopefully we have the money for a Malik Tillman and a proven number nine striker. That might be a bit overly ambitious, and I'm fully on board with, and Gav, you're a huge proponent of the fact that you don't actually need to spend big money to get a high-quality player because of how the transfer market is. It's all about good scouting, and it's all about contract length and all that side of stuff. Ross, if you were given the choice of Malik Tillman permanently or a number nine striker, that's proven which which do you go for? What a question that is. <laughs> I wish I'd had all day to think about this one. That's that is that is a tough one. What would I do? Um Tillman is the nine. I, yeah, well, I was gonna I was gonna come on to that. So <laughs> I would I would probably I would probably sign Malik Tillman, to be honest. Uh, I think because we've seen how good a player he is. Uh, he's only 20 years old. And I think this boy is only going to get better, especially with more first team minutes under his belt. And I think, I think that that kind of agreement with Bayern Munich is kind of set. So if Rangers put the money up, which I would imagine they've already been ring fencing that that money, I think if they put that fee up, I think Bayern Munich have to accept it. And then of course it comes down to Malik Tillman. If he doesn't want to join, he doesn't want to join, the deal falls through. Right? You can never force a player to move. I'd like to think there's a good environment here for Malik Tillman to develop as a player. And I think he's seen now that Rangers are a club that will let him move on if the, if the money's right. We've seen that with Calvin Bassey, Joe Aribo, Nathan Patterson. So we definitely have to get into that kind of model of developing players and selling them on. And I think we've done enough of that now that Malik Tillman would look at that as he could see this as a bit of a project for him. So yeah, I would probably bring Malik Tillman in. And like Gavin's picked on there, I've been advocating for Malik Tillman as a nine for about two months now. I think I've been saying it. I've been going on about it. I've probably been driving people mental with it. Uh, I think I said it before Kilmarnock away that night. Um, and I just wanted to see something different. I didn't think Alfredo Morelos was playing great up until that game. I think Antonio Cholak was still injured. And I just look at Malik Tillman as having all the attributes to play as a number nine. Now, you could argue that Malik Tillman has all the attributes to play wherever he wants. I think he's that good a footballer. Uh, but I think we've seen the best of Malik Tillman and Rangers have got the best out of Malik Tillman when you get him around the box. Uh, I think we've seen it when he came on against Kilmarnock that night. I was I was there in Kilmarnock watching that game. He was really good when he came on. I think we've seen it at Aberdeen where we got that late victory. He is great around the box. He holds off pressure and he clips the ball to the back post. To, I think it, it may be the equaliser. It's the winner. I can't remember. Uh, and what we've seen again at the weekend is he can finish. He can finish when he's in those areas. So 
I th- I think I would I would take Malik Tillman over a proven number nine if we could definitely get him because I think he's someone that you could slot into really any Rangers system and you would get a great player there. So that was a tough question. I think I've answered it. But yeah, I would I would go for Malik Tillman over a, a proven number nine. Yeah, you have answered it there, and and I'm going to cling on to the hope that there is the money there for Malik Tillman plus a proven striker. I don't know, that might be pie in the sky. We don't know how much, um, how how big Michael Beale's transfer fund will be come the summer. It might be aided by letting a few players go, um, which was which is still to be seen. But it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. There's a lot of love in the comments for. Malik Tillman, and I think, yeah, the consensus is buy Malik Tillman at all costs, at any cost. Um, maybe not any cost, but the, the guaranteed £5 million cost. Um, I think that's the that's the, um, that's the the consensus in the comments. One more uh, comparison for you both before we before we end uh, the podcast for tonight, and that is the Brian Kent versus Fashion Sakala. Now, I don't know if you saw um, the stats that were being thrown around over the past couple of days around goal contributions, assists against the number of appearances. Fashion Sakala was up against his favourite opponent the other day in Motherwell and he was he scored his obligatory goal. It was a very good finish after a, a cracking cross from, from James Tavernier, like you said, Ross. Um, Fashion Sakala, and I didn't actually realise this, 12, 12 goals and assists for Fashion Sakala in his last 14 appearances for Rangers. Now, whenever I speak to someone about Fashion Sakala, they always say, but he tripped over the ball twice, or that he just ran the ball out of the park, or they like they, they, the goals and assists are 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 supplementary to the fact that he, he sometimes is a bit is a bit stupid in what he, in what he does, or he's a bit clumsy in the way he approaches approaches the ball. Gav, over the season, Kent's had forty one appearances, three goals, nine assists. Fashion Sakawa's had 31 appearances, seven goals and eight assists. Did those numbers surprise you? I think with Kent's assists numbers, because he's normally, I think the last couple of seasons, even last season when he wasn't that great, I'm sure he still pushed 20 assists. Um, so Kent's sort of creativity is, is usually up there. Um, the numbers that, that do me is... Uh, Kent's got six goals in his last 80, but 81, 82 appearances now, which for a guy who's playing mainly in a, a front three for Rangers is, is, is terrible. Um, but league winning Kent, when he's got sort of 15 goals, 15 assists, that Ryan Kent is the one that, that I, would, I would keep all day long. And I'm kind of hoping that the way that Beal wants him to play and the way, way that we saw him at the weekend, where he's actually more central, even his, his, his shot location now, since Beals came in, has been a lot better. He's more likely to score goals. So even if he's not that prolific just now, he's more likely to. Um, the thing with Kent is, you know what you're getting in terms of control and build up, and he's one of those players that, especially at the weekend, we saw it where there's been another couple of games recently as well where he didn't get any numbers, but he was the one that made the space. That then played the through ball for Sakala to cut it back to get the assist, or Kent was the one that beat the player on the inside, and then played the ball at the back post for somebody else to lay it off. So it's not that Kent's not doing it; it's that pass assist or the sort of third assist that, that, that Kent's doing just now. Which is, it sounds like I'm clutching at straws to to justify 
like in Ryan Kent, but also I'm one of those ones that last year I was saying we should have been playing Sakala more often. So I've always had Sakala's back, knowing that he's a he's, he's a pure numbers boy. And this is a thing with Morales and, and um, Cholak as well, is that why not have both? You need to have control, but you also need guys that, that just give you numbers. And it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be they're brilliant or they're rubbish. It's appreciating the skill set that, that, that they've both got because there were loads of times where Sakala scored a goal because of the donkey work that Kent's done a couple of phases of play earlier. Um, but we all know what Kent's weakness is. We all know what Sakala's weakness is. If you can combine, combine the pair, you've got Messi. So it's, uh, we're never going to have that. We're definitely going to clip that up for social media. So um, just uh, wait, wait for that that tag coming in, Gavin. You'll be you'll be right as rain. Assuming your phone won't blow up as much as it is, or it'll, it'll never blow up as much as soon as that comment uh, comes out. Um, Ross, in terms of some of the comments that are coming in, Kent has no end product like this point firework and bonfire night. Thomas H says uh, apparently Kent does off the ball stuff. I don't see never hides tries hard. Uh, no, for me, we need to move away from Kent. Uh, Rangers lad uh, J72 says, surprising stat on Sakala, to be fair. I do think the criticism comes from the sitters they misses in the process of scoring one. Kent's well off it in terms of goals. I think it's interesting that everyone everyone can see that Ryan Kent is a good footballer or a very good footballer, but he's he doesn't quite produce terms of the end product, in terms of the numbers, in terms of the, the key areas, is, as Gav says, providing the assist for the assist. Is that enough from Ryan Kent for us to to offer him a new contract? So, so I would offer Ryan Kent a new contract. Uh, I've always said that. I think the main reason behind that is because I fear the club will not be able to bring in someone of the same level of quality in terms of the budget required to do that. And I just don't think they're going to go out and spend that much money to to bring someone in. In terms of the the numbers at Ryan Kent, it, it's never going to leave him, unfortunately, until he starts delivering in that, that end product, should you say, you know, in terms of goals and assists. It is something he's always slacked on, really, other than that kind of 55 season. What I would say is he's, he is crucial to the build-up. I mean, you've seen it in Fur Park on Saturday. He skips by, his, by boys like they're not there, you know. And I think Gavin alluded to it there when he played in Morelos and he gets to the back post and cuts the ball back. There is a lot that Ryan Kidd does that he probably doesn't get the, the terms, you know, numbers in terms of goals and assists to back him up that way. I just fear for us, if we lost a player of that quality, would we... Would we be able to cut through teams as easily as we do sometimes in terms of those domestic games where teams are stuffy against us? It is Ryan Kent usually that can beat one or two men and open things up for us. He'd done it in several games. I think I alluded to it last week in the podcast and I spoke about kind of Hearts and St. Mirren. I think you've seen it at the weekend. In terms of the comparison Sakala, I feel sorry for Sakala. I think that's something that I have to get on board with more that he is someone that is important for us because of the numbers he provides. And I think because he's so raw technically, he's just an easy player to have a go at. He is, we're all the same. We all look at him, we just think how, sometimes you honestly question how he's got to this level. And that that sounds extremely harsh, but he does produce things sometimes you're like, I'm not, I'm not really sure of the decision making there. Technically, you just look all over the place. But like you said there, he, do, he does provide big moments for us. And I think, 
Gavin made a great point. It comes back to Morelos and Cholak. You want guys that <clears throat> complement each other well in a squad. And I think Ryan Kent and Sakala do. Sakala is a guy that you really want him in the last line. You don't want him involved in the build-up. And he's probably going to deliver you something. Whereas Ryan Kent, I think you want dropping in just off that back line. And he's going to create the space for others. So I see value in both of them. I don't know if your comparison of the two players was asked me which one I prefer. So I'm going to sit in the fence here. But when it comes to Ryan Kent, keep him all day. All day. I really don't think we're going to get a player of his technical ability for the budget we have, unfortunately. Yeah, I wasn't asking you which one you prefer, and you, you suitably sat on the fence there, um, which is um, which is a bit unusual for you, to be fair. So I'll I'll let it lie on on that occasion. Um, I think it was more a uh, Ryan Kent is held tends to be way up here and fashions the way down here. And actually, when you look at the goal contributions, actually it probably flips around a wee bit there, and that's that's probably against the the general narrative that we see amongst Rangers fans. Gav, just final question on this one. Fashion Sakawa, he's at, what, 15 15 goal contributions between goals and assists so far this season. He's just turned 26. He's um, he's contracted to us for another couple of years, at least, I believe. Where do you see Fashion Sakawa fitting into the, the Rangers squad of next season? Do you see him as... Still an important player that's that plays a good number of games is uh, starting in the first team, or do you see him as more of a squad player, or a guy who comes off the bench as an impact player? Where do you see Fashion Sakala fitting in? Again, I've, I've, I speak about this before. I used to annoy me people speaking about a first eleven. That, that almost doesn't exist anymore. The, the first eleven, it, it's a a squad game now, it, and it's been that that way for a good few years now. And Sakala will take all those boxes. There'll be games when he comes off the bench. There'll be games when he starts. Um, there'll be games where you can put him out on the wing. There'll be games where you can put him up up front behind a striker and, and have him drifting across both sides. Um, he has his uses. He has his skill sets. As Ross said, there's going to be games where he's going to have an absolute disaster. You bring him off, you put somebody else on. You put Hadji on or you bring somebody else on that, that can do a different role and you maybe look for more control. Um, but he doesn't he doesn't have to start every game. And I think this is the thing where it's like, 